Hi, everyone. Thanks for checking out the Thrive Podcast. We are the Young Adult Ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Wednesdays at 730 in our Family Life Center. If you enjoy this podcast, we'd love for you to post it to your Instagram story and tag us at NBC Thrive on Instagram. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. Um, We are going to start our next Hot Topic sermon series tonight. Um, I appreciate you all for coming. If you thought last week was easy, we're going to get right into it. Um, So it's going to be, I really appreciate you guys for coming out and uh, listening to us tonight. So um, let's open with a word of prayer. Um, Lord, we just are here in your presence, God. Thankful for the opportunity that we have um, to just read what your word says about issues in our culture, Lord, that are hard for so many people. We pray the truth that's shared tonight might be done in a way that's respectful, might be done in a way that's loving of God, um, because we know that you are love, and we know that you wouldn't do anything or wouldn't say anything if it wasn't for our benefit and if it wasn't for your glory. So God, we're just here tonight, thankful and in awe of you, and you pray that you would use this time to convict our hearts. In your son's name, amen. So, Maya did a great job last week. I don't know if any of you are here last week, but uh, Maya did a great job. Um, he was talking about our first hot topic was with sexual morality, um, and today we're going to talk about what the Bible says about transgenderism, and the next week homosexuality. So raise your hand if you've ever heard one sermon series on transgenderism. That's what I thought. So that's the reason we're doing one tonight, because so many people in the church have not even heard about really what the Bible has to say about it. And I think it's an important issue. My thinks it's an important issue. So we're going to take this um, as we think it is and see what the Word of God has to say about it. Um, but these topics aren't going away, and that's why they're really important. <clears throat> so, if you'll believe this, I have four things to note. Ready? You know, pastors say a couple things to know. I have four. I actually made the list. Four things to know. Okay, the first thing is people ask me, uh, why are we doing this one separately from homosexuality? You know, I figured we'd do them both together. Well, there's a reason for that. Because I th- the more that I kind of study these issues, I realize that transgenderism and homosexuality are like completely opposite. They're not the same. Because transgenderism is an issue of gender identity, what somebody believes they are, you know. Um, homosexuality is a deal of sexual attraction, so they're not really the same at all. Um, you could be transgender and still straight. You could be, you know, homosexual and not be transgender. And so I figured that we should give both of those topics the justice they deserve by taking on taking them on the head. Um, And the second thing that we're going to talk about um, is we're doing this first as a topic. We're not doing homosexuality first because I believe that a biblical understanding of transgenderism, of transgender issues, leads to a biblical understanding of sexuality. Once we understand gender biblically, then we can understand sexuality biblically. Um, And that's because God created mankind before he created their relationships, right? God created what a man was, what a woman was, before he designed them together in tandem. And so that's the reason we're doing them that way. Um, The third thing, oh gosh, there's so many things here to say. There's a thing to note in this sermon, um, and I wrote it on my paper here. Revelations 21.8, if you guys know this verse, says that, but it's for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, it's for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. Um, The Bible lists all sins as sins of identity, right? So if somebody is a liar, you know, in our culture we don't say, you know, I identify as a liar, right? The Bible, that's not a sin we identify with. In our Western culture, 
people commit sins or, that the Bible would classify, but they don't identify as those things, right? If I came up to a husband who just had an affair on his wife, like, how's your mistress, adulterer? You know, why would he not be happy with that? Because that's not how he identifies. The reason these topics are hot topics is because although the Bible lists all sins as sins of identity, right, this is who I am now, a liar and adulterer, our culture doesn't. However, homosexuality and transgenderism are, are identity issues. They're not a, oh, I'm, my name's Christian McCartney and I struggle with homosexuality. My name's Christian McCartney and I struggle with transgenderism. No. I'm Christian McCartney. I'm trans, right? It's a noun. That's who I am now. Homosexuality, I'm gay. That's who I am now. That's why these issues are so different because it's not like, oh, this is kind of what I struggle with. It's like, this is who I am now. There's the Instagram post, there's uh, coming out to my friends and family, there's a telling the people, this is what I am, this is what I do. That's why it's a hot topic, that's why we're talking about it. And the fourth thing, if you can even believe it, is be patient with me. Uh, I don't know what the heck I'm doing up here, but I know that we need to talk about it, and so I just pray that you guys would be patient with me. We have a hot topic, like little text in, question, answer, that you can uh, type into there if you have any questions. So... Let's get started. This will be great. Okay. <clears throat> Genesis 1, 27. I think we already read this the first time I taught, but we're going to read it again. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. That's Genesis 1, 27, if you'll want to turn there, because that's our only verse. Uh, it's a pretty nondescript passage for an issue that's so huge in our culture. Um, and, but what God is saying here is that all mankind is created in the image of God, right? Which is completely revolutionary. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. When God created mankind, he created them in the image of God. Notice what it says next. Male and female, he created them. So God created mankind. How did he create them? Male and female. That's what the Bible says. Now you say, well... That is not a very long thing. That's not a lot of description for something in our culture, which is a huge deal. I, I mean, I, there are bills being passed into law right now. There are, peop, there are things in the Supreme Court right now about these issues. Um, and so it's a big deal in our culture. Why isn't it a big deal here? Well, we're going to explain that. And I pulled up this infographic online. Oh, gosh, you're not going to be able to see that. I'm going to read it here. This is the difference. Gender here. Oh, gosh. This was planned. Gender here, socially constructed roles, behaviors, expressions, and identities of girls, women, boys, men, whatever. Sex is a biological attribute of humans and animals, including physical features, chromosomes, genes, expression, hormones, and all that stuff. Hormones. And so what I realized is that a transgender person wouldn't say I, my sex is biologically male or female, which it's, you know, there. They would say my gender is, which I didn't realize. And that's important because let's say I have a dress here and I hold it up in front of you, is this normally gendered in our culture for a male or for a female? Female, female right, okay, because it's a dress. And most guys in our culture don't wear dresses most of the time. That's how I'm going to say it. Uh, but if I held it up to a room 2,000 years ago, maybe it looks like a chiton or a tunic or a toga, and that's exactly what the ancient Romans or Greeks would have wore. Right? So their sex doesn't change, but their gender construct changes, right? because it's not a dress in that culture, it's a chiton. Does that make sense at all? Nice, I love the head nod. So that's great because that makes sense to us because all of a sudden the same piece, the same fabric, the same gender thing is changed as gender, not gender, as gender changes through time. Why? Because gender is just a social construct. 
The Bible doesn't give us any rules about gender, about social, actually that's not true. The Bible does give us rules about social constructs for men and women, but it doesn't give us like, hey, uh, guys, you really should be wearing, you know, baseball caps or something. That's, the Bible doesn't give rules like that. However, the Bible is very clear on what is appropriate spiritually for members of each gender, and that sex is given by God, as we saw that here, if I didn't lambast that point. Okay, so it goes back to the point that we made the first week. Experience is not reality, but it is your reality. Does anyone remember me making that point the first week? I think that was after the barbecue sauce. It's not reality, but it is my reality. So just because I experience something doesn't mean it's wrong, necessarily, but it does mean that it's the way I experience it, so we need to treat it like that. Now, in this statement, we have to define a small but important point. What is your reality? And as Christians, if you're a Christian in this room, you're going to say that my reality is what God dictates it to be. My reality is what God says over my life, what God says over my, my future, what God says over my plan and my path, even when I don't feel like that. Does that make sense? So what does that mean? It means that if I'm struggling with, um, I don't know where I'm going to go to school, or I don't know what I'm going to do for my job, God says, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for you don't know what today will bring. My feelings don't feel like that, but I have to trust that's what God says. He's defining my reality. Does that make sense? Good. And so what that means is that we have to make this a hard and fast point. Because if I would go to different cultures and say something like, well, adultery is wrong, maybe someone in Africa in a polygamous culture would say, that doesn't fit in with my version of reality. We have five wives over here. Or maybe if I would go to an ancient tribe in the jungle or go to the Maya or the Assyrians and say, murder's wrong, they would say, that doesn't fit in with my reality. My reality is this is what we do. It's not wrong, it's what we do. And so the Bible is never right culturally all of the time, but it's always right some of the time because the Bible is always saying what it says the same, but culture picks and chooses what it wants. Culture's always done that. American culture is no different. We're going to go to the next verse, which I really love. It's in Numbers. God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? This, if you're a Christian in this room, this is what's true about your God. He has not changed his mind. And at liberal estimate, this was written 2,500 years ago, and God today is still not changing his mind. He has said what he said, and that's, that's it. So as Christians, what we experience in our lives is not the ultimate experience of reality, even if it's the ultimate experience for us, if that makes any sense whatsoever. What God says about our lives is reality, and what we feel about it is real, it's valid, it's important, it's real for us, but God says that we will find our holistic expression when we believe what God says to be true. So I'm going to say it again. Experience is not reality, but it is your reality. That should help us a little bit. So now what should we do? I don't know about you guys, but when I was in school, I knew one person who was transgender, and I went to Glen Oak, and there were 2,000, 3,000 kids there knew one person who was transgender. Um, that has very much changed. I'm kind of dating myself there because that's very much changed. It's not like that anymore. We probably have cousins and friends and family members and um, people that we know and people who we used to know and things like that where we see that, oh my gosh, they're transgender now. And if you're, in a, Christ- if you're a Christian in this room, we need to know how to relate with them because they're people who need the love and grace of God. Um, So what about our unsaved transgender friends? What about people that we're saved with who are transgender or people who became transgender, they're unsaved? Um, Well, the first thing to recognize is that although gender identity is a huge deal in our culture, it's not 
how the Bible identifies people. So although I'm a male, you know, I was born my sex as a male, and I biologically am male, and I identify gender as male, um, that's not how I identify myself personally. Why? Because God identifies me and says your first identity isn't in your maleness, if you will. Your first identity is in the fact that you're loved. Your first identity is in the fact that you know, or that you're known. And I wrote down this passage, I was thinking of it today, from 1 Corinthians 8. That actually might be there or not. All of us possess knowledge. Paul says, this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Listen, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. See, it's not important what you know. It's not important the things you know, even the things you think you know about yourself. Your primary identity is in the fact that you are known. Do you see the difference? It's not active action. It's not something I do. It's passive action. It's something I receive. It's not the fact that I know God. Notice that Paul doesn't say that. He's like, well, it's great. You know God. No, he's saying you are known by God, which is passive. You are a receiver of that action of the fact that God loves you and God knows you. And so as Christians, no matter who you are or what your identity is in, should not be in anything other than the personhood and the fact of Jesus Christ dying and saving you from, from hell. Um, my first identity is loved. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Do you live on the world? Then you're loved because God so loved the world. That's you. Um, and God loves you. And that's a whole lot bigger than anything else. So when you're talking to someone who's transgender, realize that the first thing they need to know isn't that their gender identity is wrong or sinful or that you need to fix that automatically. Their first thing that they need to know is that they're loved by God. Because that's what God said in his word, is that that's the first thing that he wants people to know, that he loves them, that he cares for them. And that's important for us. Um, and that, in God's view, is more important. And that's God's primary agenda. So what about Christians who feel that they have a different gender? Because, you know, I don't know if any of you have talked to people like that. But what about Christians who feel like a different gender? Somebody who comes up to you and says, you know, this is really hard for me to say, but you're my friend. Um, I just feel like I'm... I feel like I'm transgender, I'm transgender. What would you say to somebody like that? Um, well, it's kind of the same as the beginning. It's love, love, love. Love's the first thing. And this is gonna be hard, so just deal with me. I know it's already hard. It feels like a TED Talk up here. But uh, <laughs> this is gonna be hard. As Christians, love is the supreme attribute, right? When Paul's talking in, about virtue, he says, make every, make every effort to add to your faith virtue. So when you're a Christian, you become a Christian, you believe in God, that's the first step. Make every effort to add to your faith virtue, which is like being a good person. Okay, well, I'm a good person, I'm a Christian, I know that God loves me, okay, I'm a good person. What after that? He's like, then make every effort to add to your virtue knowledge. So not only am I a good person, but I'm, wow, this is actually a lot better. You guys hear me when it falls away like that? Hardly, okay. But uh, make every effort to add to your virtue knowledge. So then, not only do I, do I have faith in God, not only do I do the things that I think I'm supposed to do, uh, but I have knowledge. I know what God wants. Then after that, it's self-control. Then after that, it's steadfastness, then godliness, then brotherly affection. What's after brotherly affection? Love. And what comes after that? Nothing. Paul's like, this is it. Love's it. Once you reach love, it's the supreme attribute. You know, when the Pharisee asked Jesus, what must I do, you know, to be saved? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the primary attribute of a Christian. 
And so if somebody comes up to you or me and is, uh, is transgender and is saved, realize we're trying to love them to a point of biblical understanding and recognition. And that's important because we need to realize that our main goal for Christians is to love them and to love them to a point where they understand what the Bible says and they realize they have people who want to support and love them through that. Um, let me see here. Uh, Maya and I were talking about this recently. Sorry, Maya, I have to bring this up. And um, Maya said, it's kind of like a guy at the gym, you know, who walks around like, I'm the biggest, baddest guy. You like my shoulders here? I'm the biggest, baddest guy here, you know, and everybody who comes across me, I really don't know people like that, but that's what he said. Is that right? Okay, yes, okay. And I'm walking around, and you know, don't get my path. I used to work at a garage door factory. If you think I'm popular now, you should have seen me back then. Um, <laughs> and they said to me, the one kid, oh gosh, I won't say his name because I hated him, Josh. And Josh wore a shirt, oh, I'm just kidding, well, not really. And he had a shirt that said, uh, I have a I'll protect you if you stand behind me. I'll respect you if you stand beside me. I'll show you no mercy if you stand against me. And I like the protection stuff, but the show you no mercy doesn't really sound like the Bible I read. And so this guy, you know, walking around, you know, oh, and he was so mean to people, you know, objectifies women because I'm a man and that's what men do, you know. And putting his identity in his gender, I'm a man, I'll just do whatever the heck I want, you know, stand against me, see what happens. That is just as sinful as putting your identity in, in something else. In our culture, that's a good man. You know, that's what society says, but it's just not biblical. So if someone made this their identity, that would be just as wrong. Um, the same goes for other issues in our culture as well. So the, conv the convoluted point that I'm trying to make is that gender identity, no matter what you identify when, whether it's, you know, being a you know, crazy masculine dude or being, you know, a crazy feminist or a gender identity and as it relates to transgenderism, that part of you shouldn't define who you are in front of God and in front of others because you're loved. You're known in front of God and in front of others. Now, oh, this gets even better. Let's talk about pronouns. How many of you have heard in the news that, you know, people get fired for calling a transgender person by the pronoun they were given at birth? Has anybody heard about that in the news happening? Um, how many of you have heard that there's this don't say gay bill in Florida where you can't talk Teachers can't talk to their students about things like that. Has anybody ever heard of, the, have heard of that? That's going on right now, right now in our culture. Why is this important? Why are we talking about pronouns? Because if you become a teacher one day and a kid comes up to you and says, I want you to refer to me by this, you better have a biblical understanding for what you should do as a Christian, right? And that could happen in any arena of your life. So this is why we're talking about it. It's, I know it's a blast, but we're doing it. Um, so let's talk about gender pronouns. Let's delineate the issue here to a person who's transgender. If I, let's say this, there's a person who was born biologically a female. Their sex is a female. And they switch their gender to male. And they say, I want you to call me a male. He, him. I think they's, they put it in their bio now. He, him. Okay, I'm going to call you he, him. If I wouldn't call you he, him, which is your preferred gender pronouns, that amounts to an attack on their personhood, right? Remember we talked before that um, the Bible lists all sin as sins of identity, but our culture only lists two, or our culture only says that transgenderism and homosexuality are sins of identity because I am gay, I am transgender. You won't say I am an adulterer, I am a lie. You know, remember I said that point? So when I would say, if I would call a transgender person by not their pronouns, that's an attack on their identity. It's an attack on their personhood. Their experience is their reality. 
However, for Christians, calling someone by a gender that doesn't correspond to the way we think God made them is an attack on the way that we view sex and gender in the personhood of God. Oh, God made a mistake then making you. And so the reason we have this huge issue in our culture right now, especially between Christians and and transgender people this way, is because this is the way Christian people look at it, and this is the way that people who are transgender look at it. And I think this is such an inflamed issue. Um, And I think the thing for us to recognize is that people who don't believe in God don't have a biblical understanding of anything, right? And a biblical understanding. They don't have a biblical understanding of money. They don't have a biblical understanding of truth. They don't have a biblical understanding of anything. And the importance is for us to realize that in love, why are we expecting them to play by the rules of our game that we've set? I've talked to people before, and I'm like, well, why, just devil's advocate most of the time, why do you think this is wrong? Well, the Bible says so. Okay, that's good, but as, if I was asking you this as an unsaved person, why do you think this is wrong? Well, the Bible says so. It's like that can't be a subsisting argument in our culture anymore. The culture doesn't recognize the universality and the you know, constant prick on the hearts of all mankind of the Bible. So if I would say, well, the Bible says so, that doesn't amount to anything in their mind. Why not the Bhagavad Gita? Why not the Quran? Why not, you know, Joel Osteen's latest self-help book. Gosh, I shouldn't have said that. Sorry. Uh, delete those last two seconds out. No, so why can't I say that, right? Why is that wrong? Because the, we say that the Bible is the ultimate standard for defining my reality. Nobody thinks that in our culture anymore. It's not just like a, a, an assumption anymore. And so our importance as Christians is to realize they don't have our understanding of marriage, of sexuality, of relationship, of anything. Um, And so persisting to call them by their gender pronouns that they were born with will probably alienate you from them and will furthermore still not subscribe them to your biblical view of reality. Now, I've heard arguments for not calling people by their preferred gender pronouns, and I've heard arguments for calling people by their preferred gender pronouns. And personally, I think for you, it's a matter of conscience. I was talking about it with a friend today. And if you think that biblically, I don't think I can sit here and say to someone, you know, you're a boy if I think you're a girl, that's your prerogative. I've heard other arguments called pronoun hospitality, which says we shouldn't expect people to play our rules and under our games if they're not Christians anyway. Um, So I would say to you, one is biblical and one is more biblical and decide what you want to do with that. Um, I have another thing to say. This is just going to be so popular at the end. It's typical as a Christian to hear rhetoric like this. We have to stop the the fill-in-the-blank agenda from taking down Christianity in this culture. It's worse now than it's ever been. Somebody needs to stand up to these people and not give another inch and put a stop to the oppression of Christians in this country. Has anybody ever heard somebody say something like that before? No, I go, okay, good, I like that. Uh, Right, because that is a common, 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 common thing. Not just for Christians, but for culture. It's easy to defend yourself if you feel like you're attacked. Maybe I'll say that. And so, but listen to what Paul says, because I say that's not biblical. Why is it not? And I could pull 10 scriptures here, but I'm not going to. We're going to pull Ephesians 6, 12. For do we do not wrestle against flesh and blood? Full stop. Does Paul say that we wrestle against the Democratic or Republican Party? The liberal, transsexual, whatever agenda? No, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So if you have an argument with somebody who, you know, you can touch, you're already in the wrong. Why? Because Paul says, at the end, that's not the biggest point. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It's not as Christians and us versus them. It's not a us versus the transgenders or us versus the gays or us versus the people who are wrong or us, you know, and we need to stand up and we need to do this and we need to show people that that's not our, that's not our battle. What does Matthew 5 say, 38 through 45? It says, do not resist anyone who is evil. You've heard that it was said, an eye an eye and a tooth for a tooth, right? That was, I think it was Hammurabi's code that put that in. That was very typical, typical old age thinking. And it's typical in our day today. But I say to you, Jesus says, do not resist the one who's evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. This is it. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. Why? Because God loves his enemies. God loves the people who have set themselves against him. And so even if it was us versus them, we should have nothing but a love-filled and soaked attitude towards people with whom we disagree. Because that is the defining mark of Christ is the fact that he loves us, right? We said that. We are loved by God. God loves us. And our Father is in heaven. We will be called a son of our Father who is in heaven if we love our enemies. And it says, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and the, on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Talking about the partiality of God. Um, so then, as Christians, it's not us versus Hollywood or us versus any social establishment. It's not us Christians versus anyone except the cosmic powers who are keeping people enslaved into sin, into false narratives of idea and identity and whatever you want to have. Um, the goal is for people to know that Christ is their solution from sin and that Christ died for them out of love. I have one more scripture. For the love of Christ controls us. I love this passage because we have concluded this that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but him who for their sake was died and was raised. That's our goal. That's our mission. That's our prerogative. It's not us versus anybody, but the love of Christ is what's compelling us. It's not hatred. It's not vitriol. It's not a wish for the way things used to be. It's not a, back when I was a kid, this isn't the way it was. Because it's not. Culture's changing, and it's a lot different than the way it was. But that's not what controls us. That's not what compels us. That's not what, you know, starts and finishes our Christian walk. For the love of Christ controls us. And the gospel is at the center of what Paul's talking here. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but him who for their sake died and was raised. Um, so to, that is a huge issue, and that's one of our, I mean, that's the summation of the Christian walk. So we are going to put on the question screen or the little text message answer screen. Do you have any questions or things you, you know, had questions or issues or problems or comments or whatever else? They're anonymous. I won't know if you send me a hate mail letter. So send those in. Say, you know, you're an idiot or whatever, and uh, we'll get to those at the, at the end of the series. Um, let's pray. Dear Lord, we're thankful that your word is unchanging and timeless. We're thankful that you don't change your mind. We're thankful that you mean what you say and that you say what you mean. We're thankful that we have a bedrock, God, on which to state our hope and trust in the fact and the personhood of Jesus Christ. God, we pray that you would forgive us for the times that we just don't understand, God, and we didn't want to understand. 
We pray that you would temper our biblical understanding here, God, and just have us understand what your word says and in a way to do it that's loving and that's kind, but that's truthful as well. We want to be effective witnesses for you, um, and we want to do what, you, what your word says, and we want to do it faithfully. Um, we're thankful for your trust and for your promises that you give us today. And God, more than that, we're thankful that we're loved. We're thankful that we're known. We're thankful that we have a Father in heaven who cares not what we know, but we know that you care for us. We love you, God. In your son's name, amen.